Welcome to the Working on Wellbeing podcast by the World Wellbeing Movement. The podcast that allows you to be a fly on the wall during conversations with the world's leading wellbeing experts. In today's episode, we'll find out what rabbits can teach us about how to live longer, happier, healthier lives, why a good manager might be just as critical to avoiding disease as a good doctor, and how kindness and human connection can positively impact both our physical and mental health beyond the boundaries of traditional medicine. So I'm absolutely delighted to welcome today's guest, Dr. Kelly Harding. Oh, thank you, Sarah. It's delightful to be here. Oh, thrilled to have you. So Kelly, quickly to introduce you, you are a medical and public health doctor. You started your career on the front line of emergency psychiatry before you pivoted into a speciality in mind-body medicine. And as if that's not enough, you are also an assistant professor of clinical psychiatry in Columbia University. And you're also the author of this absolutely wonderful book, The Rabbit Effect, Live Longer, Happier and Healthier with the Groundbreaking Science of Kindness. You are so welcome, Kelly. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Well, this is, I really value what you're doing here. And it's incredible because this is the conversation I feel like we all need to be having. So I'm delighted to be a part of it. Oh, thank you so much. And I have to say, when we met, I was just so struck by the importance of your research. Um, And I'm so excited that you get to share that with with our audience today. Um, So I thought I'd start, I mean, I do want to get into all of these cryptic references to rabbits, but just before we, we get to the rabbits, tell me a little bit about your own career journey and how you ended up pivoting into such a specialist field, because you are essentially one of the leading researchers on kindness and on social connection or human connection. How did your journey bring you to that place? Well, so it was an accidental journey. Just as a clinician, I got really interested in trying to figure out why it was that some patients did better with different diagnoses than others. And it seemed as though we were really missing something and I couldn't quite figure out what it was. So it led me on this incredible journey through, um, you know, thinking it was something to do with the mind-body connection and then discovering the field of public health and realizing too just how much our social world impacts our health. So all of this together, you know, when we look at the pieces of what's happening in the body, what's happening in our social world, and then what's happening with our mental health and putting that all together, that's what I was missing. And so it felt like this huge story that was not being told and I felt like I needed to tell the world about it. So that's why I wrote The Rabbit Effect. Oh, wow. And, and it really is a wonderful book. Um, but that does bring us on to rabbits. Um, so yes. my understanding is that you were a, a medical student when you first heard about these these rabbit studies that took place, I think, a long time ago. It was back in the 1970s. But it, tell us, tell everyone else, <laughs> what can we learn from rabbits? <laughs> so, um, so this study actually, at, It was a little bit later on. It was um, during my research fellowship um, because I actually was so curious about this question. I did this research fellowship at Columbia looking at um, unexplained medical symptoms and trying to figure this out. And one of my lovely mentors, a fellow actually at Harvard, Dr. Arthur Barsky, told me this story about the rabbit. So 
Here's how it goes. Um, so back in the late 1970s, there was a researcher by the name of Dr. Robert Neerum, and he was interested in diet and heart health. And so he designed an incredibly, he was a basic science researcher, and he designed a very straightforward experiment that involved giving almost genetically identical rabbits the same high-fat diet. And um, he expected the same outcome for all the rabbits at the end. Um, and what he found is when he went to go look at the data that one group of rabbits had a vastly different outcome than the others, like a 60% difference. And so um, he thought there was a mistake with the experiment. So he went back, checked everything out. It all checked out. They couldn't figure out what's going on. And then they looked up and they realized that the person who was caring for that group of rabbits wasn't just feeding the rabbits. Um, she wasn't um, doing just the minimum. She was actually picking up the rabbits. She was petting the rabbits. She was talking to the rabbits. She was basically giving them love and kindness. And it was incredible because he thought, and this is the most amazing part, he thought, could it be that somehow the social world is changing the biology of these animals? And I just want to say, like, right there, that's a radical idea. That is not how we've thought about health at, at all. But much to his credit, he thought, if that's true, I have to pursue this. So he went back, he replicated the study, got the exact same result, and they published it in the journal Science. Um, and that was the beginning of decades of data that shows how our social world and how we treat one another really matters to our health. I am intrigued though, and, and, and you you told me the story when we first met, and, and I think it's absolutely fascinating. I think it's really important because of course, we all know that it feels good to be treated with kindness, and we all yeah, know that yeah. it feels good to treat other people with kindness, but to actually have the data that proves that actually this improves our health. I think that's incredible. Um, now, one of the things that I really like for listeners of this podcast is that yeah. every listener is going to go away with sort of practical tips that they can apply to their everyday lives. And as I re yeah. as I was reading your wonderful book, you wrote about um, daily practices of micro kindnesses and also the ripple effect of kindness. Yeah. Can you give us some examples of those, please? Absolutely. So, um, well, first of all, I just want to say that's a really important part of this story. And I mm -hmm. want to empower you who are listening to just understand that your actions really matter. Because I think we all know that kindness feels nice, but it actually is good for ourselves, the giver and the receiver and the witness, which is pretty amazing to think about. So a win all around. And um, I think the other thing, Sarah, that I really want everyone who's listening to hear is that it doesn't have to be big grand acts of kindness just small acts of kindness can make a difference and um, typically when we think about kindness it's important to break down the different areas of our lives so like you know we have our home lives we have maybe our workplaces our schools um, our neighborhoods our communities and when we look at all of that you have a lot of power to make things better in all those different areas. So, um, you know, micro kindnesses in your neighborhood might be as simple as like picking up a piece of trash you see on the street and putting it away. Um, it might be saying hello to a neighbor. It might be, um, you know, going out of your way to help somebody that needs something. Um, in your workplaces, for example, there are all different kinds of ideas, and we can talk more about that. But it's just simple things like literally just eye contact, hello, um, reconnecting with someone, asking how is your day. Those are all examples of micro kindnesses that you know when we 
feel seen and acknowledged. We feel good. And we actually studies show we perform better too. <laughs> so. so so this is interesting because I want to tell people how we met. Um, <laughs> talking about, you know, just saying hello to a stranger is a micro kindness. Right. So, so Kelly and I, we were um, at the World Happiness Summit and we shared a shuttle bus um, to an event and we got sitting beside each other and we got talking and we formed this social connection, which has brought us here today. But I wondered, does the fact that I just started chatting to a blank stranger, might that improve my well-being? Um, so actually studies show it in fact it does and um i can't remember if we talked about this but i know i'm an introvert and so sometimes my inclination is not to necessarily chat with the person next to me but the evidence really shows that we're happier if we do and we get a boost from chatting with the person that's beside us like on the airplane on the seat in the shuttle bus wherever it is um i'm smiling to myself too because i actually met my husband um, sitting next to me on an airplane. So I'm very glad I followed this practice. Gosh, <laughs> so. This is so funny because you also talked about with the rabbit study, of course, that you focused a little bit on the benefits to the rabbit um, oh, of right. being treated kindly. But then you said that there's benefits to the giver and, and the receiver. And so for, for the person who was caring yes. so kindly and lovingly for the rabbit, there would have been benefits for that person's health as well. I mean, that's the that's the amazing thing about yeah. kindness. And when you look at it from both sides. So what we're talking about with kindness is really that pro-social, warm. I mean, I don't I feel like I don't have to explain it to you or to you listening that, you know, we've all experienced kindness in our lives and sort of what that feels like and looks like. Um, but that's the amazing thing is when you studies show that actually the sometimes the giver gets as much benefit as the receiver. And then this idea that um, part of the way this ripple effect of kindness is that when it, say you do something kind, like you're helping somebody out and I see it, then I also am more likely to go be kind to somebody else. So, and that in turn helps somebody else. So that's what really creates these lovely ripples. So um, I think that's a thing. It's like in a world where it can feel so challenging, it's something so simple and so human, and yet it makes a world of difference. And I believe that you are about to start something that's actually going to help people to actually perform those micro kindnesses. Can yes, you tell us a bit yes. about that? Um, so I feel really fortunate um, because I actually at the World Happiness Summit, I was talking with um, dear friends who work in the world of business and the world of government and diplomacy. And my coming from medicine, we thought we need to do something to be just consistently talking about some sort of virtual, inclusive, and um, action-oriented club towards creating more kindness in the world. And so um, so we're forming that. So there's more to follow. We're going to be calling it Our Kind of Club. Um, and we hope you listening will consider joining us. So if you sign up on my website, it's Kelly Harding MD. We'll fill you in as, as more details come available. But we're going to be using the evidence base to help inform ideas, to spread kindness, and, um, and create more micro-kindnesses in whatever way that looks right in your world because um, that's the thing kindness looks different for different people and it's not one size fits all but we know it when we see it so I, I mean I think that's wonderful and obviously the world well-being movement will want to support you uh, oh. in any way we can uh, so we'll also put details up on on that on the world well-being movement website as well oh. when, when it goes live um, Sarah, that's because very it's, kind. it's hugely hugely <laughs> important um, and of course when I think about social connections um, we know that we all spend about a third of our waking lives in the workplace. Um, and 
there's been quite a bit in the media recently about what Harvard Business Review have called the power of work friends. So according to Gallup, if you have a best friend in work, you're more engaged. Um, Yes. And I think you've done quite a bit of research on this. So can you tell us what your research shows about the power of work friends? Well, I mean, this is a I just want to take a second to acknowledge this moment um, because so the book came out right before the pandemic. And I feel like we had this collective experience where we recognize and the data was there before the pandemic that um, how important our social connections are to our lives and well-being and you know the data really shows that that um, you know it's ad, not having that social connection as, as detrimental as you know smoking being significantly overweight high blood pressure alcohol all of it so um, we've got to take that seriously and we've got to take seriously our workplaces because uh, we're spending a third of our lives there so we've got to make it enjoyable so having a work buddy is absolutely critical because we need somebody who when we feel safe and we feel that someone has our back and is looking out for us that is not only does it feel nice but actually we're more productive and i think that's where those harvard business studies show that it's remarkable that something that we just know in our hearts is actually you know pans out with the research and data as well. And um, so that means being intentional about cultivating those kinds of relationships and um, and keeping it professional, but also just letting other people know that you see them, that you value them, that you support them, like recognizing when mistakes happen, that um, we're human, we all make mistakes. And, um, and also looking from a growth mindset of, um, you know, if a mistake happens, how can we help so that it, you know, the next time we do better and um, I don't. I, I imagine you've had work friends in your. Gosh, yeah, yeah, I so agree. And look, I mean, certainly for me, and as Kelly knows, I sort of prior to moving into my role with the World Wellbeing Movement, I was twenty six years in in various uh, corporate companies, um, and very much my work friends you know, became my personal friends as well and have played such an important role in my life. But it's interesting that you mentioned that you're an introvert and and I'm I'm I mean, it's a spectrum, um, but I'm on the 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 introverted side um of the spectrum. Um and so I actually thought that I would find working from home actually would suit me. But what I realized pretty quickly was it didn't um, yeah. because it now don't get me wrong. It does suit me on the odd day for focused work, but it doesn't suit me all the time because I actually do need those social connections. So that was a real insight into m- me, really. Yeah. But it did make me think reading your book and, and, and listening to the importance of social connections. You know, we've now moved into a world where there are some people who will always remain remote workers. And it's important that that is there. Flexibility is really key. We're finding that hybrid work probably is the best balance for well-being because you're getting your flexibility, you're getting your space for focused work, but you're also getting that social connection. But I wonder if you have any thoughts on I guess, particularly for remote workers, but also for hybrid workers on how to actually build those all important social connections. Sure. And to start, you know, the idea of remote work is kind in itself, because I think it just acknowledges that we all have different and different seasons of our lives where, you know, we have different things going on that maybe we need to be more present, not commuting as much. Um, So that in itself is kindness when companies are looking at at different options and letting people make choices. 
And actually, autonomy is a big part of health at work, um, yes. like letting people make those decisions. And the studies, actually studies done here in the UK, really show that that pans out. Um, and then coming to, all right, so you're working remotely. How do you develop these relationships? Um, you have to be much more intentional about it. And I think that's what every company I talk to is saying, that you know you don't have those sort of natural water cooler moments. Or even you know where we were riding in a van together talking about something else entirely before we realized how much we had in common, that it's um, one of those really um, intentional things. So, you know, that could look like setting up meetings with there actually now technology is helping out with this too, like setting up meetings with random people where you're you're intentionally talking about things other than work just to make that human connection. Um, it can mean things like being intentional about going in if you're close to your office, like going in every so often, or for companies that are entirely remote, some are, you know, doing intentional meetups like every six months, every three months, something to keep that that human element in there, but then also um, making it so that we can do our work in a way that suits us and and be productive. Yeah, I, I so agree. Um, one of the things that I think is really important, an awful lot of companies nowadays actually offer fully paid volunteer days. I, I recognize not all companies do, but many companies do. Yeah. And one of the things which saddens me is when people say, oh, I didn't have time. So they had an opportunity to take two, three, sometimes even five days fully paid to volunteer for oh, wow. any charity or cause close to their heart and they don't find time. Uh -huh. um, and again, this sort of brings me back to your work on both social connection and on kindness and on the benefits to the givers of pro-sociality. So I, I guess, what's your reaction to that? So first of all, so volunteering is one of these amazing things because um, it has shown to benefit the the person who is volunteering as much as the and actually volunteers live longer. So when you're volunteering, you're actually doing something for your health. And I think that's the important reframing. Like we, it's a health day. Like when you're volunteering, and it's for your health and for the health of your community or or cause that you care about. So making that a priority feels really good, and it is good. And then the other thing is, you know when it comes to these initiatives at work, actually creating the time and space for them is something we have to be intentional about. And I think it it really comes back to that intention and purpose. And, um, you know, we may or may not have leadership at the top that supports that culture, but whatever role you find yourself in, you can appoint yourself the leader and set that example for other people. So um, the more of the research I've seen, I am much more intentional about talking about things that maybe in the past I would have sort of kept more as part of my private life, but now I talk about volunteering. I talk about um, sometimes taking a mental health day, like things yes. like that, that, um, yeah. you know, I just, um, I, I'm pausing for a second because um, in medicine, we have not always been that kind to people who are, or we don't care that well for the people who are providing the care. And it it's so interesting to me, and I know medicine is not the only profession like this. We have to do better. And so that starts with you and it starts with me and it everybody just, we need to be talking more openly about this um, because it really matters. I, look, I, I agree. And one of the things I loved about your book, actually, is at the end of every chapter, you give, you know, tips 
Um, and they really are those practical tips that we can all do to improve our well-being. Um, and as you were talking there, I thought, you know, are there any of those tips that you put in your book that you think might be relevant here? Because all of us are leaders, no matter what your role is, yes. we all have an opportunity to support our our, our fellow colleagues. Um, so what are your sort of tips there for, for everybody listening? Well, the most important tip is to just empower, just feel empowered and um, and recognize you. And the data actually shows this, that you really impact not only your health, the person that you're you're thinking about and then also their friends. It's this friend of a friend research that's just incredible that's been done by Chris Takis out of and Fowler out of Yale. But um it's uh you really have an impact. So just know that up front. The other thing is, I mean the irony is it really doesn't sometimes take a lot but um you know encouraging people if they have a vacation to actually use that vacation and to take the time to really um take a, a digital wellness break, you know, a, a, away from technology for a bit and come back refreshed. And of course, the data, as I know your prior guests have talked about, you're actually more productive when you take those breaks. And it's amazing to me that we often, you know, work right through lunch. We work through our breaks. We don't do that. So I've gotten much more intentional, like with my team at work, like trying to take time to, you know, we go and do something together that doesn't interfere. Or I don't want to tread on their personal lives, but just time that we um, can get to know each other as human beings. Um, another colleague does something where she tries to find out two things about someone, you know, oh. that is aside from work. And so that way you always have that sort of grounding. Um, there's one thing that I've been seeing that I love is um, people getting very creative with their out of office messages. Um, you've probably seen have, that too. Yeah. So I, some of them are great. And it also, what's wonderful about it is it creates a kindness pause where you sort of just stop for a minute and think about, well, am I being intentional with how I'm doing this? Am I being kind the way I'm sending these emails? Like, is it um, all of it? Um, and also, I like I put a little thing at the bottom of my email that says, in a world where you can be anything, be kind. And it's funny because I have so many people respond to that tagline. And it makes me think there's these sort of creative ways we can spread kindness without... Um, it, it doesn't take any extra time, essentially. I so. mean, there's so many wonderful tips in what you just said. And I want to pick up on two of them. Sure. Uh, one is lunch. And uh. I have been so guilty of this. And anybody who's ever worked with me will have seen me being that person who, oh, gosh, I'm so busy that I'm working through lunch. And I regret that. Um, I've now realized that that was not what I should have been doing. And I think we all get into this world of busyness. Yeah. Um, but actually the lunch break is the time to go and sit with a colleague and that's how you get to know people better. And actually in the last company I worked for, which was a wonderful company, which uh, really did a huge amount of good on the workplace wellbeing front. But a lot of my friends might not have been in my team, but they were people who I met when I was making a cup of tea uh, during a yeah. break. We had a sort of kitchen area and uh, you know, quite a few friends from there were just people I got chatting to making a cup of tea. So I think your lunch break thing is really important. But you also talked about wellness walks during during work, actually taking a break oh, together. Yeah. That, I, I mean, and that's what's amazing is taking a break. I mean, you're not only getting, and especially if you can get outside and just get some fresh air, that, but those 15 minute wellness walks have shown to boost productivity and make us feel good. And they're good for our health as well because they just reduce the stress load that we're constantly dealing with at work. Um, so whatever can be done to be intentional and to not feel bad about it, to normalize it for other people and just also recognizing, and I often tell people, we're going to take a break because that shows us we're actually going to come back and be more productive when we return. So, um, 
you know, announcing that. I think that's the power of research, right? We can actually say this is backed by evidence. And this is leaving loudly. Um, so yes, leaving loudly yes. is a brilliant idea. Um, and, you know, we had as previous guests, the, the wonderful co-founders of, of the Four Day Week Global, and we talked yes. about the fact that you know, the human condition is such that, you know, it's very easy to become a workaholic, yeah. but we can help each other out of that. And so if you are a leader, instead of just quietly getting up and leaving the office, announce goodbye, have a lovely evening. Right. And that might nudge other people to get up and go home. <laughs> I love that idea. And I think also as we are sort of rethinking work from sort of going from like hourly work to thinking about how do we get the job done? Yeah. And, um, you know, leaving loudly is one of those ways to support that. And I think it's terrific. And um, yeah, I'm really, really hopeful too. And I think also, you know, the work world is changing so much. And my hope is we're at this critical tipping point where it's going to be for the better, that we're recognizing our humanness, the fact that we need lunch. <laughs> like we can take that. I mean, I come from a world in medicine. It is typical to never take it. Like you'd almost like embarrassingly sneak out to eat your food and acknowledge that you too are human and get hungry. So I'm saying this, but um, I have also seen how it can really be rejuvenating. Um, just one story about that. I, uh, as a medical student, did a rotation here in uh, the UK, and I couldn't believe it because at three o'clock, everybody took a like a coffee and tea break. And um, I thought this was so strange because I had never seen this before. And it was, it, I mean, unless there was a true emergency, all the registrars would stop for a bit, have their tea, and then come back to their work. And it was only sort of years later that I realized they actually probably came back fresher, more yeah. willing to deal with problems, um, any sort of conflicts that came up because they were actually connecting with their coworkers. They were probably better able to solve. Um, and it's sort of brilliant and it, you know, pretty much cost nothing. So, and you know, it's such an important point because I think we need to get that balance. We've seen yeah. all of the statistics are telling us that burnout in the workplace is increasing. Yeah. We know that. And I think, you know, we talk about the importance of social connection, but there is a tipping point. So one of the things that Kelly and I bonded over on, on yes. that shuttle bus where we met was we realized that we both fall into the category of people pleasers. We like to think we're reformed people pleasers, but <laughs> we relapse. Um, and I said, you know, we really need to set up PPA. People yeah, Pleasers Anonymous. Yeah. <laughs> um, Absolutely. I, I feel like I'm an official member. Official <laughs> member. So, so this is the launch. This is, this is the launch of PPA. Um, but I, I think that's really important that, you know, we're all getting those boundaries. Yes, we need to be kind to each other. And that's really important. And yes, we need to create those social connections. But self-care is also just as important. Uh, yes. Um, it's so I hear you. I feel like we need a hand signal or something to go with our PPA and you listening that are welcome to join our movement. Uh, um, so the thought is, and I think this is where kindness gets confused sometimes because, um, you know, sometimes people feel that kindness is like being a pushover or just sort of willing to do things. Actually, kindness takes a lot of strength and it's um, not only the strength to you know, know how to deal with conflict in a peaceful way. It's also the strength, how to be kind to yourself and set up boundaries that you are able to be intentional about honoring what you need in a certain moment and what, and being able to verbalize that too. So um, I think that's where that self-kindness, particularly when it comes to burnout. So um, 
you know, a lot of times, because we live in this state of constant turbulence at work sometimes where it feels like I'll get through this crisis and then I'll take a break, but the next crisis arises. And then before you know it, we've just been on this journey. And, you know, in healthcare during the pandemic, that was a big problem for people in medicine in particular in healthcare. And so um, that's where we, we really have to put a pause here and talk about self-kindness. And we also have to talk about building systems and policies that are kind to people because, yes. um, you know, I think there are too many sort of misguided wellness initiatives that just focus on individuals and not systems because yes. we together, when we put our minds together, we can create kinder systems that are human focused and um, make life better for everybody. I mean, I, I feel like we're just violently agreeing with each other here. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think that so many business leaders now really want to do well. Yeah. But actually, they don't know what to do. Um, and that's okay because, you know, you might be an expert in accounting or you might be an expert in engineering, but learning how to be an expert people manager is another thing. Um, and I would love yes. to read a quick quote from your wonderful sure. book because it really, really struck me. Um, you said, most people would say having a good doctor is important to health, but this data, so your data, implies that having a good manager is also critical for avoiding disease. Managers who support and value their employees, who trust them and value their autonomy, and who promote the dignity of work help both humans and organizations thrive. Now that really struck a chord with me when I read that. Um, and I, I feel like, you know, there's a lot of really great people managers out there, but there's also a lot of people managers who want to be supportive and don't know how, because we know that we're seeing talented people get promoted to a people manager role, but maybe not get a huge amount of training around the people side of that. So what right. advice would you have to any people managers who are listening saying, I want to be a more supportive people manager. I want to help improve the well-being of people on my team. So first of all, um, I, I want to just in terms of that quote, um, I mean, it's amazing, right? Because we spend so much time with our managers and supervisors and that relationship traditionally has not been thought of in terms of our own health, but it really matters that you have somebody who feels like a partner as your manager or is supportive of you and your dignity and autonomy. So, and there's studies that back that up that people are, again, more productive, they're um, less stressed at work. And you know the way our brains work is when you don't feel under constant threat, which often people do with their managers, um, they actually don't think as well. Um, and that's because we're, you know, using not the higher parts of our cortical functioning, but we're using more the more primitive fight or flight responses, um, which increases stress and cortisol and it's just not good. So, um, so what can we do? And, you know, a lot of people are often because they're promoted and doing well with one thing, get put into a managerial role. So mm -hmm. part of that has to do with training and wanting to just that wanting to do better in itself is really powerful. Um, and how do you create that kind of engagement, that sense of belonging to something um, is, is really, um, I think the most important part is actually talking with employees, yes. <laughs> like, like hearing from them, like how do they like to work? How do they work best? How can I support you in what you're doing? Um, find out about them as a human being and just what um, they value and, and what they need in terms of um, support. And I think that 
thing that always strikes me is like the data around like just acknowledging somebody doing a good job is actually goes a very long way. A lot of yeah. companies now will have a, a, a peer recognition program. Right. But if you don't have a peer recognition program, you know, maybe you're working in a smaller company. One of the things I've done is donate a tree. So I plant a tree, wow. you know, so you're contributing to the environment. People really, you know, feel that they yeah. feel that you're doing something kind for them and kind for the planet. And the other thing I love doing is giving a book as a thank you, you know, a wonderful book like oh, your book. And actually, I've recently yeah. gifted your book to a friend of mine um, and some of the books on that bookshelf to, to to other friends as well. But the other thing I want to pick up on, you talked about um, autonomy and yeah. you said that managers really need to listen. Um, I heard a great phrase uh, many years ago and I poached the phrase uh, in my own leadership practices, which is a listening lunch. So as a manager, to invite a few of your peers in and colleagues in and to say, I want to hear from you and have it as casual. So it's not a focus group. It's a listening lunch. But your role in that meeting is to shut up, (laughs) (laughs) shut up and listen, open your ears and hear what your colleagues are saying and, and really hear that feedback. Oh, it's so important. I think whatever level you're at to be listening to what are the challenges that somebody's facing and then do what you can to help them out. Amazing. Well, I would like to go to what I like to call the rapid fire section of the interview, oh, Kelly. So, so um, one of the questions that I like to ask people, and because, of course, you've done a huge amount of research into kindness, social connection, and of course, the impact on well-being. Yeah. So I like to ask people how they're doing, but the way that Happiness researchers ask that question. So on a scale of one to 10, overall, how satisfied would you say you are with your life nowadays? So I'm going to say something kind of uh, radical. I think I'm a 10. (laughs) Wow. I know. Wow, I've never had a 10 on this show before. I don't think (laughs) I've met a 10. Actually, I'm always (laughs) curious on this. I don't know, sort of, do they get many 10s? I feel like it would be fun to interview those 10s and find out. I mean, you're an outlier. You're definitely, my understanding is 7.2 is, is, is about the average. So, so eight would be above average, would be, would be good. Um, (laughs) But there, there is certainly, and, and this is really important that we, you know, we know that there is um, an inequality of wealth. Yeah. There is also yeah. an inequality of happiness. When you look at that happiness distribution yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and the World Happiness Report will sort of show you how, how, how that is across various countries. But sorry, yeah. tell me, well, tell me what you're doing to get to a 10. Well, um, <laughs> I will share with you the reason that I would put myself at a 10 is in part because of probably loss I've had in my life. Um, and I was just reminded of this last week when I was at the funeral of a dear friend. And um, I think sometimes when you uh, start with, from that place, um, you realize every day is an incredible gift. And yeah. I know that I'm very fortunate to you know, have enough food and a nice place to live and all of those things. And, um, and people who care about me and people I care about and friends to have wonderful conversations with. So um, for all of those reasons, I would give myself a 10. Oh, Kelly, thank you. And, you know, I couldn't agree more. I think when I have those bad days, when I'm sort of you know, worrying about getting older and am I getting gray hairs and oh, is that a wrinkle? I have to remind myself that, you know, my closest friend didn't have the luxury of, <sighs> of growing older either. And, and, and it is a luxury. Um, right. And um, yeah, no, it's a really good point you raise. Um, I have to ask you what you do, what rituals you do on a daily basis to look after your own well-being? So, um, I, this is like the most fun part of the work because I get to read about it and then there's such a gap between 
learning and uh, and doing. <laughs> so so one of the things I'm really intentional about is acts of kindness. So um, so I really try to do that. And I think if for you listening that just to think about like in certain moments, is there something I could do to elevate the situation, elevate the person I'm talking with, um, support somebody else. And so I look for those opportunities and I have to say the payback is tremendous. I actually mm-hmm. think that really contributes to my sense of satisfaction and well-being. And again, it costs nothing and it, it really, really works. Um, so yeah, so I'd say if you're having a hard day, try it out. Um, and it can be something spontaneous, like bringing a friend a cup of coffee or um, surprising someone, you know, with something like a flower or something like that. It doesn't have to be big. Or, or texting somebody that you know, just like saying, "Hey, thinking about you and how much I appreciate you." I love that one. Don't yeah. you get such a lift? Yeah, have you absolutely. ever had one of those days yeah. where you're just a bit down and suddenly you get a text out of the blue from a friend yes. and it just gives you a lift? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah so it's it's those know. kind of little micro kindnesses that don't mean anything. So actually one of my practices is when, um, sorry, this is becoming less rapid fire as I tell you more and more, but um, I one of those things is actually um, anytime I think of a person, I try to like reach out to oh, them if I'm in a spot lovely. that I'm not in a meeting or doing something. So, mm-hmm. um, and also, you know, of course, relationship with technology, I'm trying to be very intentional about like putting my phone away when I'm sitting with people that I really want to focus on them. Um, you know, just thinking about my relationship with technology all the time and how we can be kinder with that. And particularly, how do we get work done, but also not have it take over, you know, 24 yes. <laughs> seven. So yeah. uh, contain it, set those boundaries of self-kindness. That's such a good point. So I have two more questions for you. Uh, sure. The first one, purely because when I grew up, my favorite movie was Back to the Future. So if you had a DeLorean that could time travel, and if you could time travel to 20 or 30 years in the future, what is the change that you would like to see in this world? Oh, I love that. And also, I love that movie. And I actually mention it in you The do, Rabbit Effect, too, because I, yes. I was like, this was like if we could go back and change everything. Um, gosh, I think if we could create a world where everybody felt excited to like jump out of bed and go to work and do things during their day, what an amazing world we would be in. Because... Um, you know, I think, what is it, like half of people don't really like their jobs. It's some some large statistic. Um, I think if we could do something to make the world more engaging and give people a sense of purpose and autonomy and um, an authenticity to how they approach what they do, I mean, that would be an incredible gift. Well, I have one final question for you, because we talked about how wonderful it is when we get to know a couple of things about somebody's private life. And we have a VIP (laughs) guest here today in the other room. We've got this very cool technology room next door here. And we have your wonderful 13 year old son, Ryan. So, Ryan, do you want to join us? Hello. Hello. Welcome. (laughs) Ryan, could you maybe answer the last question? I would love to know. What do you do every day to improve your own well-being? Oh, I know when to stop when something's brought me too much stress. It's awesome. Oh, that is That awesome. is amazing yeah. advice. And do you know what? Honestly, I wish I had known that when I was younger because we talked about burnout. And if yeah. you don't know when to stop, that's when you get burned out. That's when you get overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a brilliant point and a wonderful place to, to end. Thank you so much, Ryan. Um, 
<laughs> and thank you so much, Kelly. <laughs> it's like, I gotta get in on that high five. <laughs> so, thank you. <laughs> 